Lord God, thank you for this chance to just come together as a church community. Lord, we thank you so much for this body that is just a church family to all of us. Lord, we thank you for what it means and for what we do for each other to sustain each other as we try to keep our spiritual fire. Lord, I pray that you would just, uh, that anything that's of me this morning would be quickly forgotten and that anything that's of you would stick to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing the series, Keeping the Fire, how to keep the spiritual fire burning in our lives. And if you missed last week, Mark did a really great job of kicking us off. He kind of talked about this is the direction that we're going to go. Like, what are the elements that help a fire to stay alive and to thrive? A fire needs to burn. It needs fuel. It needs heat. It needs oxygen. And he kind of pointed out that in regards to a spiritual fire, one of the things that we kind of need is an offering on that fire to make it like a sacrifice to the Lord. And if you missed it last week, go back and check out his podcast because he did a great job uh, just, just really laying out what is the fuel that, we, that burns a fire, that keeps a fire going. And he kind of talked about three elements of the fuel. The word of God is one of the things that keeps the fuel going to keep our fire alive. But also the word of God in the person of Jesus Christ really fuels us and keeps our fire alive. And then also obedience. Doing the small things that God asks of us is fuel that burns the fire deep in our lives. And he kind of pointed out that if your fires run lower, it's, it feels like it's kind of letting go. Like go back to the last thing that the Lord asked you to do that you didn't do and do that thing and how it will kind of breathe fuel back into your life, how God kind of keeps your fire alive in that way. And we're going to kind of continue this series this morning by talking about heat. And uh, to kind of kick this off, like, uh, you know, I want to tell a little bit of a story. I, I, I really like fire. I don't know. Maybe it's just a guy thing. Maybe it's a person thing. I don't know. But I love building fires and I love sitting by fires. And whenever I made a fire, like in college, I had like a hard time like leaving it until it was all the way burned out. Like I wanted to like live every last little second of that. So I never made a fire in our house unless I was like prepared to stay up till 2 a.m. to like watch it burn down. And uh, I, there was this one weekend that fire was most critical in my life. I was just having a, a really bad time in my senior year of college. I was going through a really rough stretch, and that week particularly had been really heavy on me. And it was just one of those things where I just wanted to get away from like my normal world. But you know, but when you're 21, 22, you don't have the resources to just fly to like you know another place. So I was just like, where could I go for like a couple of days just to get away from like my normal day to day life? And I, I called up a friend. I was like, who's a friend who's reckless enough that would just drop the responsibilities and leave with me like on an, an hour's notice? And I had a friend named Ben, and recklessness is kind of like his middle name. And so I was like, yo, Ben, hey, I was just wanting to go somewhere for the weekend. Like, you want to just like get out of here for a little bit? And he's like, yeah. Like, I'll pick you up in an hour. That's literally what he said. Hung up the phone. I, uh, okay. Like, even no question of where, no question of what we were going to be doing. He's just like, yeah. So he pulls up outside of, like, he's got, like, a trunk full of, like, camping equipment, like, anything we might need. This is the middle of November, mind you. He pulls up, and he just goes, north or south? <laughs> I go, um, north. He's like, let's do it. And he hits, like, uh, somewhere north of here by Cabin's Call. Like, he had it, like, on play. I'm like, what would you have done if I had said south? He's like, I had no plan. I had no plan. <laughs> Really hoping you said north. <laughs> and so we just start driving north, and we're literally an hour and a half into the trip with no plan of where we're going. And he kind of goes, you know, my parents have like a lake house. It's boarded up for like the winter, but I bet I could get us in. I'm like, that sounds perfect, man. Let's go into like a boarded up lake house. I am all about that. And we kind of like pried the boards off of like one door, and we got in. But there was no heat in this house, and it was a really cold weekend. So we literally spent most of the weekend by the fireplace. We built a fire. We cooked food over the fire. And, like, we actually both slept in sleeping bags on the ground by the fire because it was too cold to go to any of the rooms in the house. It was just a, a very cold weekend. But, like, the thing that was, like, powerful about it is every single time, like, we'd fall asleep, you wake up because you were cold. And you walk over to the fire, and it looked like the fire was dead. You know, it just looked like it was out. And, uh, and, and you kind of stir it a little bit. And what you realize is the coals were still extremely hot underneath. Like underneath this little kind of like, um, 
we'll go to that picture later, but underneath the little cover of ash, where there's actually really hot burning coals, and when you stir it, the flame would start to rise, and then you put the fuel on it, and it just was hot enough to catch this wood like that, and so we'd build the fire, and it'd kind of be raging again, and we'd fall back asleep because it was warm enough to sleep, until three hours later, we'd wake up again because we were cold and stir the fire, but all weekend long, we just kept feeding fuel to this, and the coals maintained their heat in this powerful way. And I thought that was kind of a symbolic picture for me because not only was like the fire what sustained me, but that friendship in that time where I was really, really like in a hard place was like a fire. It was heat in my life. Like I felt alone and I felt kind of detached and I felt like I needed somebody to kind of be in my pain with me. And there was a friend who was willing to say, I will go with you wherever it is, north or south, man, I'm with you. Like, and these are the kind of things that I feel like we need in our lives. And we're going to dive into what heat looks like in our spiritual journey in this, this morning. You know, what do, we, what do we coals need to keep their heat? A few, a few things. One, they need to be stirred sometimes. Like, you know, they just get a kind of layer of like ash on top and they just need to be stirred. The other thing that they need is they need other coals to feed each other. And these are the things that keep heat in a fire and the, at the base of it. And you've seen this, like, you know, when the fire gets like those coals on top, it looks, starts to look like ashy on top. But underneath is just a rage that if you stir it a little bit, the flames kick back up. And it's just amazing how a fire actually has ability to keep heat. It just kind of gets trapped beneath the surface sometime, and it needs to kind of be brought to bear. So what does it look like to stir the fire? This passage in Hebrews is so powerful. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence, confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and if you missed Mark's sermon, he talked about the temple and the fire that was burning that was constantly offering sacrifices on it. And he's saying, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place of the temple by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilt guilty conscious and having our bodies washed with pure water. All of this temple imagery that's so powerful here. And then he says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, day approaching. We're going to unpack these three kind of challenges that he gives in it. One is spur one another on towards love and good deeds. What does it mean to spur one another on? You know, I had the chance to play Ultimate Frisbee this past Wednesday. When I say a chance, it was an opportunity. It was also like a curse because I have not played Ultimate Frisbee in about five years, and my body has changed in that time that I last played Ultimate Frisbee in lots of terrible ways. Like, I'm aching now still from a game that I played last Wednesday. It's pretty amazing. But, like, um, it was really fun. It was with the link group, and most of my link group is a lot younger than me, so there was a challenge in that right away. And on the opening Frisbee kick, I knew I was in for, like, a long day because the Frisbee comes over, and Dane Lawrence, featured here, I mean, don't let the picture fool you. This guy is an athlete stud. Like, the Frisbee comes, and he goes, I'll, I'll get Casey. And, I'm, and everything in me is just like, ah. Like, Dane's like a lacrosse player at a collegiate level. He is much bigger than me. He is much stronger than me. He is a much better athlete than me. And when he says, I got Casey, I was just like, this is going to be a long night. Like, when we played a three, I'm ready for this game to be over already. And uh, sure enough, like, all game long, he was kind of beating me to Frisbees. He was knocking them away from me. He was kind of like slapping them out of my hand, like right when I thought I had it. And it was, it was, it was just, he was hounding me, basically, in a really good way, as a good Frisbee player. Um, but it was pushing me. I started to channel. I had to like dig deep. And I was like, what was I able to do at 23? I'm going to start like trying to harness that self. Because he brought out something in me that like wanted to be better than I was in that game. I wanted to play to the best of my ability. And there was one moment that I felt like a little flash of the 23-year-old Brian Casey was still in there. 
was like, like I threw the Frisbee out for kind of leading both of us. And I was like, I'm going to beat him to this Frisbee if this is like the last thing I do. And I, I kicked into overdrive, got there, knocked the Frisbee away, and I'm still hurting, I think, from that sprint. But I was like, that's the 23-year-old Ryan Casey speed that, used to ha- that I used to have. There it is. The rest of the game, he destroyed me. But, like, but in that moment, in that moment, I was like, you know, but it, it kind of me thinking as I was kind of thinking about spurring one another on. If I wanted to improve as a Frisbee player, what would be the goals I would do? Well, first of all, I would need to play with people like Dane. Like, if I want to get better at Frisbee, it's not going to be playing with people who never play Frisbee. It's going to be to going with people who are actually good at this, who are going to push me to bring out the very best of myself. I ran in a way on Wednesday that I don't think I've run. Like, I, I go long, slow jogs at this stage of my life. I, like, was sprinting in a way that I haven't sprinted. My muscles are feeling things they haven't felt in a long time. That He pushed me in a way that I have not been pushed physically in a long time. And it's, it's good for me. Like, if I wanted to improve as a Frisbee player, I need to play with people like that because I'm going to kind of recover my old habits and get back into healthy habits of how to become a better Frisbee player. The other thing is I need to train with someone who's committed to being better themselves, right? I need to find people who actually want to be better at Frisbee. I know this is a little bit silly because at 38, why would I care about becoming a great ultimate Frisbee player, right? Like, but bear with me. Like, how would I get better? I need to train with someone who's really committed to it. I need to find out what their habits are. How do they improve? Like, what, you know, what do they do to kind of get, like, what do they do, do when they get in the gym? What do they do with their eating habits? How do they become a better player? I would have to commit to these types of things. And I have to seek wisdom from someone who knows the game better. Because one thing was very evident in that game. I don't really know how to play Ultimate Frisbee. I just like running around a lot. Like if I actually wanted to get better at Ultimate Frisbee, I'd actually have to learn how the systematic game works. And I, you know, I've never actually taken the time to learn those things. Again, this seems like a silly analogy because it's just Ultimate Frisbee. And I'm not going to start a professional Frisbee career at the twilight of my athleticism. But if I, you know, this, this applies deeply. If we want to spur one another on, we need to be around people who challenge us to learn and grow. And if we want to be serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ, which we all should be, like if we want to pursue that fire, like that, that really live for the Lord in a deep and powerful way, it's going to require us being around people who challenge us to learn and grow differently. When we go to Link Group, we want to be around people who speak truth into our lives, who are living a life that we want to start to emulate. We need to be around people who push us to be more like Jesus Christ. One of my hopes and my prayers for Link Group on a consistent basis is that anybody who walks into our room on a Wednesday night would be challenged to be closer to Jesus because they were there. The natural current of our group should be moving towards Jesus Christ. And if you want to kind of live differently than that, you'd have to swim upstream. Does that make sense? Like this... This is the environment that we want to create. So if I want to be serious about my faith with Jesus Christ, I need to be around people who are funneling me to be that way because they are challenging me in the way that they're living. I need to be around people who are farther down the road than me. If you want to be serious about your faith with Jesus Christ, be around people who have seasoned, walked through the difficulties of life, and know how to follow Jesus in the ups and the downs, the good times and the bads. They've been through some of those challenges before, and they can point back and say, I remember what that was like. And here's what sustained me during that time. We need to be around people who are willing to commit and sacrifice. And this is such a beautiful picture of Scripture. I'm going to use this example of Jonathan and David. You know, one of the ways that they approach relationships, I think it's just so different than we approach relationship today in our culture. Let's see what they say when they, as their friendship was built. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. 
This was like deep friendship. Jonathan welcomes him in and gives him things. But I love this. He committed to him. It says they made a bond with each other and they committed to being together. Like that's not something you often see in friendships nowadays. Friendships are kind of like things that you have for seasons or for temporary things. But these guys did something really special. They had a unique commitment to each other. They said, we are going to be committed to each other. And this would go on to require much sacrifice. I want you to think about this. We think a lot about David, but from Jonathan's perspective, Jonathan comes to learn in the midst of their friendship that David has been anointed to be king over Israel. Guess what Jonathan's like job, his next promotion he was waiting for was? King of Israel. David's going to get that job. That's literally going to happen. And what does he say? Like, I mean, the normal thing to do in that culture, in that world, is kill off your competition. Like, David should have been, that's exactly what Saul wanted to do. Saul wanted to get rid of David. His own son says, I will serve you as king. I'll be your number two. Their commitment to each other trumped their ambitions for where they wanted their lives to go. That's friendship. That is commitment to saying, look, if the Lord has said this in your life, I will be your armor. I will carry your shield and I will be your right-hand man. I'll be in it with you. But we're committed to each other and we're going to see each other towards the Lord in a powerful way. Do you have people that you're committed to? I don't just mean like marriage. Do you have friends in your life that you're committed to doing life with that they're just for you? They're going to go through the battles with you. This is a powerful commitment that they made to each other. And when it came time to sacrifice, they willingly sacrificed for each other. You know, this flies in the face of our cultural norms. It very much flies in the face. This kind of commitment to relationship is very different. I think we usually ask the question, what am I getting out of this? And we kind of ask that about everything, right? What am I getting out of my job? Is it fulfilling me? And it, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But we're very quick to kind of find the, thing that, the next thing that might satisfy a little bit. And that's okay in jobs, and that's okay in other things, but we do this with everything, right? The second something doesn't meet my immediate needs, we want to kind of exchange it. And you see this in the dating culture, how quickly people trade in relationships. You see this in marriages, how quickly people trade in relationships. You see this in church cultures, where people say, like, yeah, that, for that season, that church was good for me, but I've kind of outgrown it, or what I need now is different. Because of what I need, I will go somewhere else. Like, it's just a different grid than what commitment to something says. And I'm not saying there's never a time to move on from things. What I'm saying is that it's a, weird, it's a question that we don't tend to ask, is to say, what does it mean to be committed to that thing? What do I bring to the table? So they're going through a hard time, and it's not meeting my needs. Do I bring something to the table to answer that? It's a different question to ask. What can I bring during this season of need? It's a very different question than our culture ever asks. We never ask, what is that thing need that's hurting right now? We say, what am I getting out of it? You know, move on. We, we tend to move on when it's not serving what I need. And we tend to do that across the board. And I think we miss something valuable about weathering the ups and downs of relationship when we do that. Because there will be times where the other person's hurting and there'll be times where I'm hurting. You know, and we need people who weather the storms with us. We absolutely need that. You know, that friend Ben that I talked about, we actually were a part of a group called CR, and we called it CR, and what it actually stood for was covenant relationship. We formed a group that started meeting together once a week in college, and we met together all through college, and we called it covenant relationship to each other. Here's the cool thing. I went to the Poconos with them two weekends ago, and I do that every year because they are brothers that we've committed to, and the easiness of that changed. When Ben moved to Alabama and Chris went to the army and spent times in Iraq and now he's going to Korea next year and Nate moved to Boston and Randon moved to Pittsburgh, like, it, you know, like the sacrifice of a lifelong commitment, it would have been easy to say, well, that was a fun season of life. 
But we had said something different to each other. We said, we will be brothers. We call ourselves CR Brothers. And we gather and we pray for each other and we strengthen each other wherever we are because we made a commitment. And my life is so much richer for the sacrifice. And I'm not saying you need to go back in time and do that, but what I'm saying is, who are the people in your life that if you actually committed to and you weathered the ups and downs and the transitions of life, I think we are missing out on so much fruit that can be there from a relationship with people. There's something powerful about people who really know me. And they, say, and they don't just know who I am now. They say, Ryan, I know you have this tendency. And I said, I haven't had that tendency. And I guess I still do have that tendency. You know, like nobody else knows that tendency, but I guess I still have it. It's still in there. I cover it really well now. But you're right. That is still true of me. Well, how do I, how do I deal with that? What else do we need about heat? Spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. But the other thing is not give up meeting together. This seems like a pretty basic principle. Why would he say, don't stop meeting together? Because it's easy to stop meeting together, right? It's easy to not make that commitment to each other. Why would he give a command to give, not give up meeting together? Well, I think it's, it's a, for a normal. It's natural. We are hardwired for relationship is the reason he said it. We are hardwired to need other people in our lives. Here's the beauty of how great our God is. He built us to need him, and he built us to rely on him. And yes, we need to rely on him first and foremost above all other things. But he also hardwired in us a need for other people. And we think that's just weakness in our human frailty, but he built us that way. And here's the thing, it is natural for us to need people to talk to. If you're feeling like you're in a season of just loneliness, like, and you just need someone to just talk about what you're going through, that is absolutely natural because God built you that way. We need people that just, just to talk to at the end of a long day. We need people who just process. I don't know about you. I'm an external processor. Kira can tell you that. I process all kinds of things she doesn't want to hear about. <laughs> but like, I, like, but like, I just need someone to bounce things off of. Does this sound crazy? It's something that I feel like I'm saying on a regular basis. And half the time it probably is because it's me. I'm, I'm a little bit out there. But like she's able to normalize. I need someone who normalizes some things and says, yeah, maybe, maybe that's not the norm, most normal thing to think. <laughs> maybe we need to work on that. <laughs> but, I mean, we just need people. We're hardwired to need people, and you are hardwired to need people. The other thing is it's natural to need people just to hang out with. Like, this is basic stuff, guys. But I remember, like, especially being a single person. I was single until I was 35. And I can tell you, sometimes at the deepest level of my need was not to someone to have a deep conversation with. I felt like I was really blessed with people to have deep conversations with. But what my need was sometimes was coming home every Friday night and having no one that I felt like I could call it was just a lonely way to do life. Like, you're just wired to have people, to want to need people to hang out with. This is why Christian community is so powerful, because it's like a family. There's other people sitting out there who have the same types of needs and the same types of desires, and we have a chance to kind of do this life together and to fit those gaps in each other's lives, and it's a powerful experience when we lean into that. It's natural to want to be known and accepted by people. It is awesome and earth-shattering and life-changing that God loves us as we are and he accepts us as we are. And that is the foundation for everything I'm about to say next. But it's also natural to just want someone to say, dude, I'm going to love you even when you mess up. Yeah, you were, you were not cool to me that day, but we're still friends. We're going go, to be okay. We're going to get through that, right? Like, let's work through that conflict. We need people who will do that, who will weather the storms, who can allow us to be human and frail and to mess up and say, you have not disqualified yourself. We will do this life thing together. We are hardwired to need that. You know, this is what they did in the church of Acts, and this is such a powerful picture of church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you just feel the heat in that passage? Like, I, I mean, it just, it just feels like that's where I want to be. I want to be in the middle of that. Because that just feels like everything I'm longing for in one spot. And this is what the church did together. They committed to doing life together in a powerful way. And they committed daily to doing certain rhythms with people, which is a powerful thing. You know, a deep commitment to each other and regularity and sacrifice. They gave to each other as they had needs. They met together just for regular, regular, they had meals in each other's homes. They just really committed to it. There was a central focus that spurred one another on. They put Jesus Christ in the teachings. They devoted themselves. That word devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread. They said we are committed to Jesus Christ. And as we do this together with our sole purpose focused together, there was rich community in accomplishing that goal together, to be closer to Jesus. There was a central focus that unified them in a powerful way. And they invited each other into their homes. You know, I was thinking about that. That's even a more intimate thing now, I think, than ever before, to let people into your space. Like, it's so easy to meet people in public places. And like, I, we, I, I'm just very aware and humble by the, how many people get to come into our home. And I just love that people feel at home in our home. But like, they get to see like our house, our, the way we live, like our mess. Like, you know, we really get to invite people in the midst of that. And like, it, it, that's something that we need to be doing for each other to say, come into the deep spaces of my life. I want you to see who I really am. Like, you know, like when all the church stuff is over, like just this is who, how we live. This is who we are. They did this for each other on a regular basis. They invited each other into each other's homes and they did life in a deep and real and powerful way. You know, not only did they not give up meeting together, but they encouraged one another deeply. And guys, the power of encouragement is just so palpable. I'm going to share another passage here about David and Jonathan. It says, while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Let me give the context to this. David is running for his life. Jonathan's dad is trying to kill David. If there's ever a more like, awkward dynamic in a friendship, you're not going to find it in this one, right? Like, sorry my dad wants to kill you, man. That really stinks. <laughs> I, I, can I apologize enough for that? Like, I don't know how you get over that in a friendship. But like, David's running for his life, and he's just depressed and at the end of his rope because he's spent years on the run while Saul is trying to kill him. And Jonathan, here's the key thing. He finds out where David is, and what is Jonathan's sole responsibility as the son of Saul and the leader of his army? is to tell Saul where David is. But instead, he steals away from the army, puts himself at a midst risk, and goes in the midst of David's army, his little band of warriors. And those warriors, I mean, there's risk to that because those warriors should be saying, David, we've got the king's son. We have some bargaining chips here. But he steals into the camp, and he finds David, and he helps David find his strength in God. This is like, look, I can't do anything to solve the situation. My dad is a madman. I'm sorry, and I have to be loyal to my dad. But you, you have a bigger person that you can lean on. You can lean on God in the midst of this, and let me help you do that. In the midst of all the chaos of the world, let the world melt away for a little bit, and let's together seek after the Lord together. How powerful is that? He says, don't be afraid, he said. My father will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Again, this self-sacrifice. David, I know that what the Lord promised you will come to pass. Is that not encouragement? And I'm going to do everything in my power to see that it happens. 
and I will be second to you when that day comes, David. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant. Again, they made a covenant before the Lord. And I'm guessing that that covenant had to do with the fact that Jonathan said, I will support you as king when the time comes. That's the covenant, right? They've already made a covenant of friendship. But here's a deeper level of covenant to say, whatever the Lord calls you to, I'm in your corner. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horus. And David, who goes on to be king over all of Israel, at his breaking point, had a friend who sat with him in the most breaking time of his life and, said, and pointed him towards the Lord, reminded him of the promise that God had made him and reaffirmed that God doesn't let promises fall. That's what David needed in that moment. That's what David needed in that moment. How do we help each other find strength in God? A lot of times it's at that moment where someone's just at the end of the rope and they just need someone to say, you're going to be Okay. And I'm not going to leave you in this. I'm committed to you in this. You're going to be okay. We need people who will weather that storm with us, who will just bring encouragement in the dark places. You know, the power of encouragement. I don't know how many of you have ever had the chance to, like, talk with Tom Sankyo. I'm going to brag on him for a second. But, like, the gift of encouragement is like an anointing on his life. And if you have ever been encouraged by him in any way, shape, or form, it's like, I, I just wish I had like a booklet of like the things he said to me that I could read when I'm feeling down. <laughs> like, oh, remember when Tom said that? That was like life-giving. But the power of encouragement is so real. I don't think enough of us think of that as like, that's a deep need that we have for someone to speak encouragement into our lives. Guys, let's be that for each other. Here's what it requires to be a good encourager. You have to know the person that you're trying to encourage. You know, like, if you just give flat encouragement in a vacuum, hey, you're a good guy. Like, do you know me enough to even say that? Like, I mean, no, but you can say something specific about the person. When you know them deep enough to know their heart, I know your heart in that. And man, I value what you care about. I value that you care about those things. Like, it just speaks differently, right? Like, the, the difference between, hey, go get them, and hey, I see that about you. I value that about you. I love that about you, and I love that God put that in you on purpose. Right? I don't know about you. I, I, I'm like, I, gra- I, I keep a whole notebook of like my, my favorite like encouraging letters that I've gotten. And I, I like, I'll just bust them out and read them every now and then. It is, it is fuel to my soul because there's people who have known me well, who have sp- spoken truth over my life, and have spoken who they believe me to be, even when I'm not sure if that's really who I am. Guys, that's powerful. Let's be that for each other. Let me challenge you this week. Who could you really deeply encourage? Because it is a gift, and it keeps a fire alive in someone's heart in a powerful way. When you have an environment that is nurturing, let me say this, you better be ready to share it. When you have an environment that is nurturing, you better be ready to share it. If this is the fire that's burning in our church, if we are known as people who spur one another on and we're moving towards Jesus Christ together and we encourage each other deeply and we commit to each other through the hard things, let me promise you this. It won't just be the people in this room for very long. Because that that's heat. And that heat, people gather by the fire. They want to be near the heat of the fire. That Acts 2 church, what did it say? It was, they were adding people daily, right? Because there was a contagiousness to that kind of community. This is what this author Wesley Hill says, which I actually absolutely love. Friendship, then, is not simply endorsed by the good news of God in Christ, but is also redefined by it and redirected towards wider, deeper ends. I think, for instance, of the way the peace activist and theologian William Stringfellow described his relationship with Anthony Town. Our acquaintance became friendship, then, eventually, community. 
In other words, the two couldn't stay cocooned and turned in on themselves. And their commitment to trumpeting the nonviolent way of Christ, the two became three and then four and then five. They had a mission that they were accomplishing and they were experiencing rich friendship in the midst of the mission that they were accomplishing and people wanted a piece of that. And all of a sudden, it couldn't just be the two of us accomplishing this mission anymore because it's going to be three of us, and we're going to learn how to share that together. And then someone else is going to say, dude, I want a piece of that. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And so come on in, and it becomes four and five, and soon it becomes over 100 sitting in a room together. But when we keep doing community in a real way, when we actually dive deeply into each other's lives and you commit to a few, more will come, and they will want to warm themselves by that fire, and they will want to take part in becoming a coal themselves, and the fire spreads. Right? And as Mark talked about, when we start keep putting fuel on that fire, the word of God, Jesus Christ, and that fuel's being added to this, the heat that's already there in this room will just light that stuff on fire. It's going to burn even farther. It's going to spread even farther with the heat. Guys, this, but the heat, what we can cultivate, happens right here between us, and it's contagious. As they said in Acts, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's a high bar. They were meeting daily, and daily new people were coming in. Guys, this is my prayer. You know, when we talk about what we're passionate about, one of my deepest passions in life is that we experience real, true community with each other, that we experience the depth of what Jesus Christ wants us to experience in our interpersonal relationships. I pray over this at Horizon regularly. I pray that we don't just grow in number, that we grow in depth. And that is my constant prayer, that we grow in depth and number, because I think it, they both mean the same thing that there's a heat that's worth catching in the middle of that. When we have depth, it's going to pull people in. And when we have people coming in, I want them to experience the depth of who Jesus Christ is when they come in these walls because it will just change the rest of their lives. So I don't, I, I, we don't just say this because we want to be some kind of mega church. I just think healthy things grow. Healthy things have contagiousness to them. Healthy things want, like, gravitate more people and graft them in. And I just want to be healthily pursuing the Lord and spurring one another on. We all need a Dane Lawrence in our life who pushes us to be more, right? Let's be that for each other. Just a few questions. Who are you committed to? And I actually seriously spend some time thinking about that question. You might have a spouse and you say, that's obvious. And I've got some family members and that's obvious. And I've got a child and that's obvious. But have you like made commitments to say, that's a true friend? You know, I asked them to be in my wedding and I haven't called them in three years. What does it mean to be committed to them? What does it mean to say, like, you know, there's some people in our day-to-day life, and they're kind of going through the same things as we are. We have kids the same age. We're both wrestling with some of the same problems. What would it be like if we committed to them in this season of life and said, hey, let's shoulder the burden of the T-ball seasons and all the things that we're dealing with? Or we're both, you know, there's this whole contingent that's single, and it's kind of wrestling with that right now. What does it mean to just put that burden on together and say, hey, how can we do this well together? What does it mean to meet regularly and to care for each other's needs in this season? Guys, it's powerful and life-changing to have people that you're committed to. Who are you committed to? I really believe that we are most shaped by our commitments in life. We're most shaped by our commitments. What are you committed to? Who is helping you find strength in the Lord? When you find your fire growing dim, when you find the coals need to be stirred, when you find that the heat's kind of going out, who's that person that you can say, they will come and stir my fire for me. They will come be that person who spurs me on and helps me to find my strength in the Lord. This kind of goes back to the committed question because you should be committed to a couple people who do that for you. And what's a step you can take to increasing the heat in your life? 
Maybe it's saying, I'm going to actually try to check out one of these link groups and see what it means to kind of do life side by side with some people. Maybe you're really invested in a link group, but there's a few of you that you feel like we could go a little deeper than we go just on Wednesday night or Tuesday night or Thursday night. What would it be like to kind of get together outside of this and ask more real questions personal to what we're going through, right? What would it be like? What what can you take to increase the heat in your life right now? I'm going to pray for us as the worship team comes back up. Lord God, thank you so much that you are a raging fire that burns deeply, that you are a transformative fire that changes the very nature of who we are. Father God, we are so excited that you have placed us in community because you love us, because you don't want us to do life alone. Lord, you want us to have people who share deeply in things. You want us to have people who help us to find our strength in you. You want us to have people to hang out with and to talk to. Lord, you build us as communal beings. Thank you for not leaving us alone in this world to do this on our own. Lord, I pray that we would just, you would help all of us to take a step towards increasing the heat in our, our life. And part of that is deeply committing to some people who will radically shape us in the years that come. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to do life together as a, as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen.